Hey humans, how's it going? Susan Ruth here. Thank you for listening to Hey Human Podcast. This is episode 32 and it's about homelessness and redemption and hope and faith and fear and food (laughs) and um, yeah, Brett Swain. Uh, is the head chef and the proprietor of a restaurant here in Nashville, Tennessee called The Cookery. And Brett is from Perth, Australia. And between Perth, Australia and Nashville, Tennessee, he has one heck of a life to tell you about, (laughs) as he told me. Um, Brett was homeless and he was given a chance to make something of himself and he was given skills, and now he is not homeless, obviously. And well, I don't know about obviously, but you know, he owns the cookery and he trains homeless how to be chefs and he gets them housing and he uh, gets them ministry. So, um, yeah, this is his this is his story, and our conversation was wonderful. Um, you'll hear people walking around upstairs, squeaky noises in our conversation. That's hopefully you'll kind of tune it out as you listen to the conversation. You'll get used to it, but that's just people walking around in the restaurant because we were downstairs in the basement talking and, um, you know, homelessness is such a, it's such a human thing and none of us know why a person ends up homeless. We may sit in our car and look the other way because, You know, we feel weird about the person standing there asking for money. We don't know their story. We just feel awkward. Or maybe we give them money and we give them a hello and a loving, kind, you know, wave or whatever. Even If we don't have money, whatever it is, um, it only takes a couple doorways to be each other, you know? Choices or sometimes choices put upon you, like the woman who is abused by her husband, who escapes in the middle of the night with nothing other than the shirt on her back and her children in tow, and then spends the next however many months in a shelter, or the person addicted to drugs who can't quite kick the habit, or, you know, somebody with PTSD coming back from the war, or, I mean, there's a million different reasons. Um... So I've sat in my car and sometimes felt awkward. I'm not going to lie. I've felt awkward sometimes when a homeless person is there with their sign and I'm at the stoplight. Awkward because I don't have any extra money on me to give them and then I feel bad like I should be helping. Or awkward because I just I don't have the time in that moment. I forget about being a human being. I try my best to look and smile and wave, you know, as in, in those moments. But sometimes I don't, and sometimes I'm distracted. Sometimes I'm on the phone, you know, on my little earbuds, and I'm having a conversation, and it only takes a smile, really, to say to someone, I see you. We all just want to be seen, right? At least I feel like that. Um, anyway... I could wax poetic about this all, but homelessness sucks. I don't think, on average, people want to be homeless. Um, And sure, choices. 
Some people make poor choices. But again, sometimes life just sucks and things happen and the result is even suckier. I really enjoyed speaking with Brett. I think he's an incredible human being. Um, he's doing so much for the community. Um, he's on a, he's on a mission for sure. And yeah, anyway, the usual stuff, heyhumanpodcast.com. Hey Human is on iTunes. It's on your iPhones. On the um, You can search for it in your podcast app. Um, if you have a Google phone, you can go to Podbean app, download that for free and listen to it there. Um, yeah, anyway. Oh, uh, Instagram.com slash HeyHumanPodcast. Facebook.com slash HeyHumanPodcast. Thanks for listening, everybody. I really appreciate it. Um, if you can, rate, review, pass on uh, the episodes to your friends. Tell everyone you know. Get the word out. Let's make humanity stronger by making the world smaller, by listening to these stories and seeing ourselves in each person, even if it's just a little bit. All right. Love you. Mean it. Here we go. Hi, Brett. Hi. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for being on Hey Human. It's an honor. I really appreciate it. Um, We met through my friend David, who has been extraordinary in introducing me to very interesting, cool, lovely people. And mm. you are one of those people. So. I hope so. Yeah. By the end of it, we'll know. Yeah, by the end of it, we'll know. So um, here we are sitting in the downstairs of The Cookery, mm-hmm. which is your restaurant. Yes. And you're the executive everything. Yeah, I guess. Whatever that yeah. is. Uh, I fit in the suitcase. Yeah. I, I travel. And you're here in Nashville, Tennessee. Yes. But that is not where your story begins. No. Your story begins in Perth, Australia. Yes, I was b- born in Perth, Western Australia, and I left um, at the age of 21. Is that going to be too loud? I don't think so. Okay. There's people walking upstairs. It's, it's sort of <laughs> nice. It makes you feel like you're never alone. You're not alone, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I left Australia when I was about 21 to find a better version of myself. What does that mean? At the time, I I thought it was about music, and um, I I just wanted to become something greater than I, uh, I how I currently saw myself, and I thought that was the vehicle of it because you were a performing writer. Yeah, or? yeah, okay, yeah. So, <clears throat> and I thought America was the way to do it, and I got flown to Hofgarten, Austria, on a, kind of like a freak thing i knew i was going to be getting out of the country i just didn't know how and a friend of mine took a demo that i'd been recording and he was on a european tour just for a vacation every and he'd go into these different places and everywhere he went he would play this tape and this one guy who turned out to be a kiwi a new zealander who had a, a pub in Hofgarten, austria he heard it and he said uh, what is this about would you guys be interested in coming to austria and to play for the ski season Cool. And, and my friend, somehow, he he worked his way into the deal saying, oh, yeah, we do the kind of stuff all the time back home, which we, it was a total lie. But we put it together, and, and that's how I got to America because I saved up my money while I was playing in the ski resort. And leaving a lot of the story out, I, I got over to to Australia with another mate of mine by the name of Rod Scala. Oh, over to America. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. We landed in L.A. Uh-huh. And that was an adventure. Scary. Yeah, we lasted <laughs> about two weeks, and money started already running um, 
very fine. And how old were you at that point? Uh, 21. 21. Yeah. And okay. then uh, someone said, you really need to go to the third coast, Austin. And I was like, what is, what's the third coast in America and what is Austin? Mm-hmm. So with a, only a little bit of money remaining, we bought a car and we drove over to Austin, Texas. You bought a car? Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. That was crazy. We drove, yeah. Which is really funny because... In America, when you when you get over here, they talk about the international driver's license, right? So you buy an international driver's license for, I think at the time it was like 20 or 30 bucks or something. And you immediately just uh, uh, transferred your, your driving permission from whatever country you're in to America, which is hilarious because we're driving on the other side of the road back home. And then in, in L.A., you've got all this riding on the roads. And I, I was, we didn't know. We were trying to read what the road was telling us yeah. as we're driving on the wrong side oh with gosh. the steering wheel. On. It was hilarious if it wasn't so scary for yeah, other people. Yeah, super scary. <laughs> and then back then you had people in L.A. shooting at you. Yeah, it was, yeah, <laughs> Those were the days yeah, of people shooting we, at you while you were driving. We didn't have that, but it was an adventure. Mm. Ordering food with a thick Australian accent was hilarious Yeah. over the intercom. Oh they would gosh. just give up. So oh gosh! That was, that was when you talked to the peanuts' parents. Yeah. <laughs> With our accent too. Yeah. They th- I think they thought we were swearing at them. Oh my goodness! So, That's hilarious. Yeah. So you made your way to Austin. Yeah. You've got uh, stars in your eyes, a plan yeah. to be famous. I yeah. Guess, well, make- you know the thing was, the plan was I. You know what, everything that that encapsulates. I think a lot of people who are trying to do that. You know, there's this inner need to um, feel like they've made a difference in the world, Mm -hmm. to feel that they're being heard, to feel like they've connected to people. Um, Unfortunately, um, the world and and the way that we perceive uh, fame and how we've even constructed it, it's very dark. But you don't realize it at the time. If, If you haven't had any form of inner spiritual awakening or whatever, you just look and you see the power of it and you see the presentation and you... It becomes alluring, like oh, so they they're, they're the movers and shakers in the world. I I, I want to do that because I I, I want to buy my mum a house, I want to buy my sister a place, I, I want to be able to drive in a nice car, and um, because we're told that's what's important. Yeah, we're told that's what's important, and we're also told that it's achievable this way. Yeah. And and while they're telling us that, they're also telling us why we'll never be good enough, mm-hmm. even at the top mm-hmm. level. When you're at the very top, people are just waiting for you to fall. Oh yeah. It's, uh, Australians are pretty famous for that. They're, they're root for the underdog, and as soon as the underdog gets that, they're being tear down. <laughs> I think human beings are like that. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, so, I, I don't know. I just I saw it as a means to the end, and that was really when you break it down, as as crazy or as um, flowery as it might sound, there is a deep need uh, for people to be seen and loved, yeah. and and known that they're accepted. And it's the craziest thing. It's like a comedian. I once heard that um, if people aren't laughing, you know, the inner self-loathing begins to take over. I think it's the same with any art form, mm-hmm. um, where where you're putting yourself out and you're expending so much energy to try and get people to to like you uh, and 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 accept what you're doing and applaud it in a, in a way that it means affirmation rather than just simple. Um, you're doing good it has to be an inner affirmation of uh in a vital sense that that you're alive and that you're not just existing and so art is a really tricky wrestling game on the inside in whatever form and i found out that 
this is just a side note, but later on, culinary is a lot more um, uh, efficient in, in the way of, of gaining, self, uh, gaining satisfaction because you can work on a song for, you know, three to six months and people go, yeah, that's all right. But you give them a good hamburger with, with all the fixings <laughs> and in five minutes they're going, this is good. Because food is love. I mean, I think music is love as well. It but, is, but it is. food is a universal love because mm-hmm. we, all, we all require that right. sustenance and it right. does feel like nurturing when we're eating. Right. Well, you know, music for me... Um, in the beginning, uh, it was its own God. Yeah. And that's the scary thing because you're trying to feed this, this uh, you're, you're as good as your next song or you're as good as the, the lick you just pa- played on, on the instrument or, or if as your last gig, you're as good as that and people like you. Yeah. Um, and, it's not and a be here now thing. It's n- a no. what was your last great yeah. achievement. Yeah, yeah. and so, so as, a, as a, a means to feed the monster it's it's a big monster it's very demanding um and it has many moving parts because it's not just do you feel good it's uh where you affirmed by making other people feel good and they might not even feel like listening to what you're playing that that doesn't have anything to do or any bearing on who you are as a person but it can um if that becomes your if that becomes the monster that that feeds you then uh um, yeah, it gets, it's got a lot of teeth. And then there's the trap of believing your own hype. Yeah. Well, I never got to that point. So. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I don't know. But, yeah, well, God interrupted and, and um, everything's changed. So. While, while you were in Austin, God interrupted? No, no, in Dallas, um, chasing the whole thing. Uh, the monster? Yeah, yeah, the, and while the monster chasing is chasing you. Trying to, to become something and... You know, whatever form you can say it was noble. I just wanted to love this and love that, uh, uh, the people around me, and, and and be a success so I can do these kind of things. Mm-hmm. You know, it's partially true, but the bottom line of that was that the inner craving for affirmation and uh, existence, mm-hmm. living rather than even existing. So it led to a very dark path. Um, because life and love and light was not at the center of it. And uh, around the age of 32, 33, um, there was just an absolute collapse of everything that you would have called this person, uh, Brett. Um, absolute collapse. In fact, it, it was like an H-bomb went off. And when I looked around, I had lost all my friends. Um, everything from one moment you know we're playing gigs where people are lying around the corner and uh the next moment uh, you drop off the face of the planet like you never existed and everybody's gone was this an addiction issue or was this a no no, no i wasn't addicted but you know i mean it doesn't really matter what it is for this for the sake of the telling yeah. for, for the sake of someone listening to it you know it's kind of like paul talks about this thorn and and all these people are pondering what that thorn actually was for paul that's actually, the apostle yes paul the apostle not paul smith down the street <laughs> <laughs> right. although he might have a thorn sorry <laughs> sorry yeah and, and we have all this conjecture and, and historians etc cetera, etc cetera, um pondering what this thorn could possibly be and i think god was so smart and just letting paul say thorn because because it stands for anything. It stands for anything. Yeah. It stands for anything. And and for me, you know, um, it was that way of, of just this inner collapse of this of this person. But it wasn't like drugs or or, or, or um, alcohol. It was self. Yeah, it was self. It was just this inner 
it was there was an implosion. Yeah. And um, you know, and there are working parts in that, but I think it's better for for the person who's listening to, if God is tugging on their heart, then that's where these that's where He's tugging. Yeah. So. So uh, you, you just so you're in this darkness, for mm-hmm, lack of mm-hmm, a better word, mm-hmm. or uh, you know, the black hole of life, right. which is an empty, uh, you know, yeah. a, a lack of anything. There's it nothing felt, there. I woke up one morning and and oh, you know, in the, in the midst of this insanity, and it was insanity. There was a panic. There was this deep panic. I felt like a car, and I was in the car, and it had left the road, and I was flying in the air off a cliff. And I had the steering wheel in my hand, but there was no there was no traction in the middle of the air. That sense of panic mm. was what it felt like. It was terror. I knew that I was out of control, and my car had left the road, and the the the, the bang was coming, and it's a terrible feeling. Uh, and again, if anybody feels that, um, what happened was the soul began to cry out. And one morning, it was the craziest thing. I didn't even know. I woke up with this thought, go get the Bible. I didn't even know we had one in the house. And I, for the sake of keeping the story short, I opened up the Bible. And what I read in there was this man from 2,000 years ago was reading me. And it was terrifying. You know, that kind of scene where do 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 and consciousness grows really close to your eyeballs. Hmm. It was like that. It was like... What is happening? And how is this guy from another time knowing what's going on? And why do I feel like in all the bad parts, here I am? And it was all incredibly accurate. And, um, but there was also this, this stuff where he was making these promises about if you, if you repent. And I didn't even know what repent was. I didn't grow up in church. I didn't know what all these things were. And um, so I, I, I just began to hold on to this. And you think, okay, well, whoever this Jesus is and whoever this, what the, whatever's going on with this Bible that is reading me, what, what am I supposed to do with this? With all this? I guess I'm, I'm just going to hold on and, and see what happens. And I, it wasn't a place of like, oh, I've, I've made, I found the boy in the middle of the storm, or I found the island. Actually, it got worse. It got way worse. I lost everything with a little e, um, because I gained everything with a big e when he finally showed up. Mm. It was a, a very difficult thing, and I couldn't tell people what was happening at the time because, because you sound crazy. <laughs> Might even sound crazy now. I don't know. It's um, but I were begin- you still in Texas? I was actually. I was yes. I was in Texas, but I'd moved to Dallas. At okay. this point, I'd gotten married. Oh, okay. For at the time, it's it's very difficult to to. I I, I entertain the thought of getting married for the wrong reason. I understand. And um, I think many people do. Yeah, and and that was part of my implosion. Mm-hmm. Um. And it was part of the wreckage too. Um, so living in Dallas and and finding myself completely uh, annihilated on the inside and feeling like I was dying, where the world, uh, I didn't realize that you look at green and you have this emotional response, however subtle, however unconscious, which comes down to, I guess, an energy spark. You look at that's kind of sounded weird, but no, if you if you look at, at certain things, you go, oh, I like it. Well. 
when you begin, when I when I found that um, I was just dying on the inside. There's no other word. It felt like I was dying. So there was no emotional response to laughter. No emotional response to color. You had flatlined. Yeah, I had flatlined. Yeah. And yet I was still walking around. And mm. the inner death was so immense that I remember one time I was just sitting down on a bench and I wouldn't breathe unless my body made me because there was so much pain. Mm. And, and um, I was done. Done. I spent about seven months on uh, just on my face. Every morning I'd be trying to read this book, trying to find... The Bible? Yes. Find what was going on and how to get out of what I was feeling. And I, and I was magnetically drawn to a place that was cutting me to pieces. How do you mean? Because it wasn't a safe place. When I went into the Bible, it wasn't like... Um, it's okay, Brett. You you were just messed up, and we're going to take care of you now. It was I was going to the place where he was going into the center of pain. I didn't realize it at the time. So going into that center of pain meant I felt a lot, and I felt like I was getting cut to pieces. I was getting torn to ribbons. It was it wasn't making an allowance for my mistakes. There wasn't making an excuse for my mistakes. It was. You did wrong and own up to it. What do you feel like your wrong was? Oh, my gosh. So many things. There's a long list. Yeah. <laughs> a laundry list. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I think it was Mel Gibson. They said, what's your one regret? And he says, I don't have one regret. They usually come in clusters. It's oh, a great line. <laughs> and, and I think for me, there was that great cluster. It was all at once, just looking over my whole life and realizing the wreckage, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. um, it was just, it was a terrible awakening in that sense. But there was things that were happening that I couldn't tell anyone that I was witnessing and feeling on the inside of me changing. Um, Your DNA. Yeah, good. That's exactly what it is. Yeah. And, um, but you couldn't tell anyone. Uh, uh, to expound on that would take too long, but it was a very quiet personal inward journey with only at the time I just thought it was me and this book but something was happening in my soul and there was an awakening I do believe we have to die to be reborn and that death is so painful yes and lonely and confusing and all the stuff yes it was very ugly it was a very ugly death for, for me um in the Gospel of, of, of Matthew, we talk about the guys. Jesus goes up on a mountain to deliver the Beatitudes. But if you read the same Gospel in Luke, he's on level ground. And uh, I kind of, um, I think the spiritual journey is getting to a place where you can finally at least attempt to be able to look into the eyes of God and, and for the transference to happen where you were once dead, now you are alive. I really felt like I was in the grave. And on a Friday morning around 9 a.m., I'd been fasting days, uh, and I was in a basketball court, and I was yelling out to him. And I said, there's nothing left of me. There's nothing left. What else do you want? No one was around, and I didn't know who I was yelling at. But in that moment... uh, the transfer happened. God showed up in a way that I keep very private. 
and uh, I've never been the same since. I didn't know God would show up in a person's life. I didn't grow up in church. I had no idea. I didn't know He would come to the to the truly broken, who didn't deserve to have a voice heard, who truly felt like they were uh, in prison for their own mistakes and deserved to be so. But that, that was your self-imposed feeling like you didn't deserve it. Right, I yeah. guess. I guess. Because um, I, I would argue that yeah. everyone deserves it. Yes. Well, I would now. Yeah. But being that person then? Yeah. Mm-mm. No, I thought I'd got everything I was deserving to get. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so it, it sounds so... I, I, I wish I could just blurt out the experience in, in, in a way that... Why don't you? Just because it's so personal? Or you yeah, think people well, think you're crazy? Or well, what? I don't mind that. Okay. I, mean, <laughs> I won't well, think the, you're the crazy. Funny thing, <laughs> the funny thing was, when it happened, if I was to share it all, when it happened, I, I became... I was dead one second, and I heard the voice... And then I was more alive than I've ever been in my whole life. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know who was talking to me at Mm -hmm. first until the very end. When when the voice that was speaking to me was here, although I saw nothing. And at the end he said, no, when you go, and I understood I was coming to Nashville. When you go, do not be afraid for I'll be with you. And then the voice that was here went up. And That's out of Matthew too, isn't it? I didn't know it. Yes. Oh my goodness. Yes, it is. And I didn't know what happened. Was it went up and I was like released, and I was staring up, and I went, I came to myself and went, oh my gosh, <laughs> he's he's real, and and better, better than Santa Claus, he's alive. And I wanted to tear through the apartment complex and bang on every door. I had a fire in me that is not really abated at all. And I've learned to try and moderate how much I let it pour out because it can scare people. But I have never been the same. I was set on fire. Yeah. And the interesting thing was at the same time, it was like there was a voice that was going, now, shh, because it's a secret. And I don't understand that, other than when Mary pondered these things in her heart. I've learned that um, there is a, a sense that when you tell of these things, when you have these deep experiences with God, for no merit of your own, just because God is good, and He does something, it's, it's like you have to be careful on who you, with whom you share it with, which is absolutely hilarious I'm doing this here. <laughs> but you've got to be careful with whom you share it with because it's almost like you get this sense that fingerprints are going on the most precious gem you've ever got in your life. Mm. And, and it's tender mm. and it's sacred mm-hmm. and it's secret. And please don't touch it. You know, it's... it's well, and maybe it's meant to be quiet because it's different for every person Yes, too. I think so. And, and it I, appears and right. different. It feels different. Right. Well, there's also a sense of holy. And holy is a, an incredibly deep word of, of sanctification and sacredness mm. that is above my comprehension. Mm. But I do know it also is something that is set apart for um, God's use and, and, and for God himself. 
um, and I don't know how to speak well of it, as I've just shown. It was. I it, thought you were beautifully eloquent, personally. Uh, but he, he, he. When he gives us this sacred thing, I used to be ashamed of my name. When you used to say my name as a kid, my last name. I thought you were swearing. And I didn't realize this. All I knew was, as a kid, all I knew was, please don't call me by my last name. I didn't know why. Didn't have wordage. Um, but as I, at that moment when the exchange happened, you could call me by my last name now. I wasn't ashamed anymore. He changed my name, and I don't even know how he did it. Hmm. It's the wildest thing. Resonance. Yeah. Resonance. Yes. That's beautiful. So so I, I had this unction that I just wanted to go screaming through the neighborhood and tell everybody the greatest news ever that you're going to be okay. Yeah. That you're going to be okay because he's real. And yet I couldn't tell anybody. And immediately someone, um, when I did tell someone, they, they wanted me to see a psychiatrist. Mm-hmm. And now, later on, in the innocence of it, I didn't understand then, but in the innocence of it, I understand now, so many people do horrible, horrible things in the name of God. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and uh, I, I think um, wisdom is vindicated by its children. You have to watch people to see. You have to look for fruit. You have to um, inspect it, and uh, and we can all slip up and fail. Life is not a snapshot. It's a it's a much longer race. It's a marathon. <laughs> yeah. So so it, we're not. It's not a sprint. <laughs> no. And, um, Even some of the shortest lives are living their lives as a marathon. Yes, yeah, for sure. I, I, I um, so. But that so, wasn't. I mean, th- that was an, an incredible beginning. Yes, that it was. certainly wasn't. No, and you think, okay, so <laughs> so you just found out God is real. Yes, no idea that He was. Yes, my prayer life went up about a thousand percent. Meaning you started yeah. praying. <laughs> I mean, I was praying like crazy before, but it was from a place of desperation and hurt mm. and, and self-hatred. Yeah. And please help me forgive myself and please forgive me to, oh, my gosh, you're real. Oh, my gosh, this is awesome. When do I get my big S on my chest and my red boots and I can fly around the whole city and begin to save people? And that's not how it works. It's just it feels it. I, I, he cleansed my mind. Like cellophane, he he not only healed me from my hurt, but he gave me this. He gives this washing so pure and so clean that not only are you cleansed from your sin or cleansed from uh, what you've done, and he resurrects you, rebirths you, but he also gives you this unworded understanding of how your brokenness led that. To happen like like you like you can't look back now that you're healed and look to who you were who was throwing up on everybody and go stop throwing up on everybody you jerk <laughs> yeah. because it's not fair to now judge yourself that you're healed as if you were when you were throwing up on people people are sick I got to be careful with that analogy but but I understood that my brokenness my huge inner uh, psyche being a, a, a wrecked a wrecked garden you know it, it, it grew terrible thistles it grew terrible stuff but he had made me well and it was funny because when I was the person before people um, would say well gee he's a nice guy 
no idea of what was on the inside of me. Sure. And now that I was made well, they thought I was weird. <laughs> and I, I thought, that's that crazy. <laughs> yeah. I'm safer to be around now. And you think I'm weird now? So it's just the way of it. I think it's, it's part of it. And, and then you begin to realize just, wow, you know, how how broken things are it's funny because you speak a lot of sin and how you feel about that and and to me the word sin is such a tricky word and and i look at it as the ultimate concept of what sin is is a lack of love Mm -hmm. and that's Mm -hmm. because you can pile any whatever your belief system is you can pile them all under a lack of love which is a lack of understanding you know all that stuff yeah i I think sin Sin is a deed or a thought that is separated from God. Or love. That's what love is for me. Yeah, know, God is it? love. Yeah. And, and, There's and a, a saying that I, I, I really, really love. I heard it a long time ago, and it was, um, life is a prison, and the crime is how much we hate ourselves. And, I mean, if you equate that to, to yes. that lack of love and that yes. lack of... If, if if you believe in a creator, yeah. you know, then somebody who creates you out of pure love, right. how sad must they be that right. you don't feel that love yourself? Right. I, I totally agree. In fact, because I wasn't going to share this bit, but I'll, coming up to the moment where where, where God radically collided um, into my life, I mean, He was setting me up for it. <laughs> he was. He's been around all my life. I just didn't know. I, I believe he's around us all the time. He just wasn't on the inside yet. Um, there was something that happened as a kid, and I'd forgotten. It would become repressed, and I can say that now. But see, in, in the moment leading up to, to the event that happened, I remember being again in this basketball court, and I would do anything. I was just shooting the hoops. I wasn't... Um, I was doing anything to just keep mechanically... Distractions. Yeah, distracted and, yeah. and, uh, and functional. And, and that's what I would do. And I'd just throw the hoop and I'd throw the hoop and I'd throw the hoop with this end of death going on. And I remember um, feeling, feeling at my lowest point. And it's the wildest thing because at this lowest point, all of a sudden, this image came, popped up in my mind. And I realized that that image was... Um, it was a moment that I'd repressed. It was a moment of my childhood that was so horrific that I'd pushed down. And it came up before my conscious vision. And I remember gasping in horror at it. And in that same moment, and the only words I can use is, in that same moment, it felt like a shot of electricity went through me and it shattered the image. Hmm. So it was like flash, it smashed it and I I don't know what I I felt free from the image Mm. I was still hurting and extremely weakened but the image was shattered and what happened was I realized well the best way to say it was um, for me is that there was a moment in my life that freeze framed and the light which still shines was shining behind that freeze frame. Mm. But the image cast from the freeze frame was was setting the directive for how I would walk out life. It was the shadow and the color for everything that I did. Mm. And it was broken. 
and it was tormented and it was horrified and it was shocked and it was robbed of innocence and it was a whole bunch of stuff. But that was the image in my subconscious that was directing my conscious actions. Yes. So for him to restart my life, that image had to be dealt with. And I think, I think for a lot of people that's what it's like. I, I don't want to speak for everyone, but I think... Um, there are things that have happened in our life that God um, has come in His mercy to lead us right to the moment of the freeze frame and break through it. But getting there and looking at the freeze frame, which is necessary, is very difficult, very painful. But it's the only way to get a new life. Otherwise, you're stuck in the old mm-hmm. image. So Even if you're not aware, it's there. Even, yeah, no, it wasn't. And most especially, because yeah. I think most people don't aren't aware of Yeah. Yeah. So that was kind of since you were saying that, I threw that in, and I know this is a lot, but no, it's wonderful. He gave he gave me to come to Nashville. It didn't happen straight away. You think okay, you hear from God, right? So everything's going to go click, 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 click. No, that's what happens in the George Burns movie. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, I love those movies. (laughs) No, it was there was even more of a journey. There was Mm -hmm. even more of a testing because I think God's word, when it comes, it then tests and proves itself, and it has to prove itself. Uh, in our own life we have to to learn that we can trust it as well Mm -hmm. in us Mm -hmm. so uh it wasn't an an immediate thing i expected to go immediately but no there was there was a struggle waiting for uh the time for it to happen and i'm leaving a lot out but in the end when i finally left i knew i was told you're going (laughs) it's time Uh, yeah it was time it took about three months from that moment of not telling anybody you imagine that sitting on an egg that big Mm. God is so amazing. So he gives me... The world changed at that moment. Um, the world became the dream and God is real. So everything moved differently. And um, I get on a Greyhound. Uh, there's so many stories I'm going to leave out, so much stuff. But I remember going, Lord, I know what you've done to me. That there's no self-help book. There's no workout regime. There's no uh, um, purity diet. There's, there's, no, there's no self-image that can do what you've done. Uh, and I just want you to be made known in my life. I just want people to know you're famous. I, I want them to get, get to know you. It was so important. So when you sent me to Nashville, I didn't do anything uh, to study about what I was getting into. And I had no money. And I read how to go. If you find out God's real, you better do what he says, right? Why? That was my thinking back then. There's a lot more to it now. But, but back then, I was like, oh, this is what he says. Okay, we're going to go do it. So I came with no, no money. I came with the clothes on my back and my Bible and the necessary papers because I'm a foreigner. And uh, I, I, coming into Nashville, I'm like, Lord, lead me. Speak to me. I know you can speak to me audibly. I've heard you. So talk to me. Nothing. I pull into Nashville uh, on the Greyhound, which was a ride not from heaven. <laughs> and I see the big cross downtown at the Lifeway building. And I went, oh, my gosh, you sent me to a town where there's a cross in the middle. I'm going to be okay. Didn't know what was happening. And spent the night in the Greyhound. The next morning, a homeless guy says to me, hey, um, so what are you doing here? And I tell him, I tell him God's real. I just want everybody to know God's real. Really, he really is. And he's here to fix you. It's awesome. I was like a kid in a candy store. just wanted to share lollies with everyone. And he said, well, so you got, where are you going to stay? And I said, oh, I've got no money. I'm going to 
I don't know what to do. They said, there's a mission around the corner. What's a mission? Isn't that something you do overseas? So I go into the rescue mission. Mm-hmm. He's like, you get a bed, you get food. I'm like, i got no money. God organizes a bed for me and food for me. This is awesome. God, you're amazing. I've traveled halfway across the country and you land me. This is, a, you are so good. And I walk into the mission and I see the dirt, the despair, the hopelessness, the broken men, people leaning uh, against the walls. I remember seeing at one point later on, even a guy, he'd used some kind of drug and there was green stuff coming out of his eyes. It was just, it was, it was a time of what, what, God, you're real. What am I doing here? I'm going to die here. And the homeless guy says to me, come here, I'll show you where the rest of the homeless hang out. And I went, I'm homeless. I am homeless. What are you doing? Takes me to the library park. I go up in the library, see where the rest of the homeless are hanging out. And I'm praying, I'm praying, I'm praying. I go up to the religious section because it was comforting in that area. In the library? Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. And then suddenly the voice comes over the intercom. This lady says, the library's closing in 15 minutes. And I went, well, at least I know where I'm going. I don't know what you're doing with me, God. Terrified. Yet I knew he is. I don't know what you're doing. I feel like I'm flying through the air with no parachute in a scary way. But, uh, okay. And I think I was reading Billy Graham book. And I closed the book and I went and put it back on the shelf. And it was no longer a prayer. It's upstairs. I, <laughs> no longer a prayer. I was just exhausted. And I said, I'm hungry. Out of frustration. I walk out of the front library doors, the glass doors. And back then, they had columns. I look over one of the columns. And I had a brand new apple sitting there. And I was like... <laughs> a brand new apple this is amazing I didn't even thank God for it I was just like brand new apple this is amazing I'm so hungry there it is I walk over to the to the apple because I had no money walk over to the apple and as soon as I touch it he speaks audibly and says why do you worry about the little things and I tell you I must have looked like a crazy homeless guy at that point because I was walking down the street towards the mission eating this apple and crying my eyes out because he saw me and he was with me, and I didn't know what he was doing, but I knew he was with me. That moment gave me the strength to go through four months of homelessness, where every day felt like three or four. Just, if you, I know you're going to do something today, this morning, Lord. Okay, you're going to do something around noon. Okay, you're going to do something. something. <laughs> okay, you're going to, I'm going to meet someone who's going to get me out of here. And nothing came. Nothing. No one happened. For four months. But I remember... And were you living at the mission? Yes, I was living at the mission. And I'm leaving a lot out, but, but the important thing is this. I didn't know he was waiting for a moment. I didn't know. I think a lot of the times when we're in that place where it feels like there's no safety net, he was allowing me to feel the, uh, as much as I could handle, the full gambit of what it felt like to be homeless. He was teaching me the language of the people that I was to serve. I had to feel what hopelessness felt like. I had to feel what dirt felt like. Otherwise, you wouldn't have the empathy. I wouldn't. I wouldn't have compassion. Yeah. I, compassion, by definition, means to suffer with. And so I knew what it stood to stand in the light was like. I knew what it was like to stand in clothes that you haven't been able to wash and you couldn't stand the smell of yourself. I knew those kind of things. He got rid of all the planks and all the dirt. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So all, all of these things... Um, and, but I, I remember at one point, near the, near the end of the four-month period, I remember standing there and I was beginning to see God amongst the poor. I tell these guys all the time, there are certain colors of the rainbow you will not get unless you deal with the poor. 
And I got to have my eyes opened. And it went from, get me the heck out of Dodge. Please rescue me from this place. To, oh my gosh, you really are among the poor. They would talk about him all the time. And I would see the most beautiful miracles of heart and even miracles, period. Just biblical stuff. And, and I, I said to him, I will live amongst the poor for the rest of my life. If that's what you want. And I meant it. I meant it because I saw your grace and your presence everywhere. I'd finally had another conversion of my heart, I guess. And at that moment, I didn't know he was waiting for the surrender. I didn't know the surrender was the way out of that prison. Being around the poor is not a prison to me. My heart was the prison. And uh, once I was amongst them, and I had that turn. Within a couple of weeks, someone from Fleming's came. Fleming's being a restaurant yeah. here in Nashville. Yeah, because I, I, I was just helping out in the kitchens <clears throat> in the morning before I go do Bible studies and anything else Jesus I could get. I mean, As a homeless person? Yes, they, as a homeless guy. Uh-huh. Yeah, staying in the mission, I just thought, how am I going to give back? How am I going to help? So I'll, I'll help out in the kitchen. I didn't know what I was doing. Yeah. I was a musician. A musician. Sure. So I would just help. And, and it was crazy because I was people were seeing the grace on my life because... Desperation and hunger kept me on my knees before the Lord. And the Lord loves those things. He gives, He loves to feed hungry people in person. So they would see these things happening around me where it got to the point that the programmers would ask me to come and pray for people who they thought was demon-possessed. Really? Yes, yeah. it was nuts. And then, and then the most crazy thing is transients and program people don't mix. What's the a program? Program is, is someone who's inside the mission. They go upstairs and they live in the dorms. And, oh, okay. Yeah, and they do the work programs. Transients just kept come and go. Yeah, But sure. the transients, the programmers weren't supposed to mix because they were teaching the programmers, if you mix with the transients, they're still doing drugs and stuff. And you might get pulled back out into it. So they kept them s- separated. But, but I had such grace that they even started washing my clothes out of pity for me. It was amazing. And you were considered a transient. Yeah, I was a transient. But I just got grace upon grace. So anyway, uh, when someone from Fleming's came, they offered me a job. And I prayed a lot if that was what I was supposed to do. Leaving a lot of the story out. And let's give Fleming some credit for... Absolutely. Yeah. Tracy Riddick and and Gabe Fairchild. They were my boss's par excellence. They, uh, they took me in. They believed. They just saw grace in my life. Uh, I started as a prep cook and day cleaner, only working about half a day. Within, And I told the Lord, I'll pay rent to, uh, at the mission. I'll stay there. But that wasn't to be. And that's too long a story. So anyway, <laughs> within a few months, they gave me the keys to the restaurant because they saw the grace on my life and they let me open it. And within a little while after that, I've been flown to different parts of the country to train up opening crews in other states and uh, for brand new Fleming stores. And eventually I became second chef in charge of the Fleming store. And I was there for eight years. And within the second year of being there, I went to Tracy and Gabe and said, Christmas and Thanksgiving is when the store is closed. Christmas and Thanksgiving is the hardest time for the homeless. Would you allow us to open up the store? And to their credit, they said yes. First time was 26 people. By the eighth year, it was about 400, maybe more. Unbelievable. And they would just get this you know, four or five-star restaurant experience. They would weep. <laughs> they would weep at all the food that were being given and from the love being attended upon them. And it was, it was, uh, it was an honor and an, an, an embarrassingly huge privilege of, of what I still can't completely 
encompassed with gratitude. It was just an amazing time. And, but at that point, we had the concept for the cookery. Which is where we are right now. It's where we are right now. And when we walked in, it was a wreck. The windows were holes. The It was burned out debris all the way up. This is not a good neighborhood. At no, the, at the yeah, time. Yeah. If you saw someone jogging on 12th Avenue, they weren't jogging. They were running. For their life. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So it was weird because my friend Terry, Terry Kempfer, was the one that found this place. And there's much to be said about Terry. She was my pitbull friend but she said Brett we found a place to do what we've been talking about and I, I said great well, I'll come and see we walk in as I said windows were holes the, there was nothing it was burnt out wood up there the toilets were holes in the, in the floor that's all they were and she said yeah we can do this it's going to be great and I said okay and she said God says it's going to be a city on a hill I went okay you know and, and then she said it'll take about three months it took nearly three years we had no money and each month, rent appeared. I don't know how. But I do remember, in that three-year period, Terry contracted, was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. Mm-hmm. And I, I was uh, about the two-and-a-half-year two mark, and I was standing at the front, and it almost looked like it did now. And I, I said, God, if you're going to take Terry home, I would like her to see it. I would like her to see it open before you do that, if that's what you're going to do, because they were saying that she might not make the opening. And I said, but if it's sin, because it's been so hard, so hard, if it's sin in me that's holding us back from opening, can we deal with it, please? Because I wanted to see. And uh, it was a crazy prayer, but he gave me to stop, and he gave me to look around, and he said, do you remember what it looked like? And I remembered the wreckage, the burnt out wood and the holes. I said, yes. He said, what do you think? And I said, it's beautiful. He said, what did some of the people say? I brought in pastors, constructional lawyers. I brought in everybody I could to try and give me wisdom. And I said, some of them said it was too far gone. It would cost too much and take too long. And he said, what do you think? And I said, it's It's beautiful. And he said, so it will be. So it will be with the souls that I send here. Some people say, too far gone, cost too much and take too long, but I'm going to make it beautiful. And that's the story of the cookery. That's what he's been doing. And I get to see it all the time. Explain to, to everyone listening what the cookery does. It is a, is a working cafe where we bring in the homeless and we train them in the culinary arts. And while they're here, we, we offer them uh, all the benefits of the gospel that we can give, um, knowing Jesus, reading his word, living it out every day amongst us, um, loving one another, even though we sometimes get bruised knees and bloodied noses, and, and just trying to teach a person not only what they can do with their hands, but who they really are and who they're made to be and, and receive that resurrection of hope and restoration of the identity and dignity of the person. And we do that in the context of a culinary school and working cafe. Um, and they receive a training very quickly where perhaps hands that used to destroy things, someone says, that is good. And the affirmation begins to compound and the whole person begins to feel like they have something to offer 
Mm-hmm. And uh, what happens if somebody comes to you that wants to be a part of this and mm-hmm. they don't believe in a higher power? I mean, mm-hmm. do I don't. I don't mind. You don't mind? No, no, yeah. because th- if the reason they have breath is because love lives in them. That's a great answer. <laughs> I have your little postcard from upstairs, and it says all the different things that the cookery does. It says, the cookery cooks up hope alongside a selection of burgers, salads, and more. Yes. Two discipleship houses offer a safe place for culinary students to live and grow in the community. Talk about that. Okay, the two houses. Ah, gosh. It's hard to put all this in sound bites, little bits. But basically, we have two houses where the owners... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> this is back a few years ago, so you know you know how Nashville's gone insane now. Oh rent. gosh, it's ridiculous. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Twelve mm-hmm. South is now ridiculous. Mm-hmm. It went boom, which is funny. Good for you. You own yeah. property on it. Yeah, it's just. <laughs> it's nice. like being on a giant uh, monopoly board in yeah. your park place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, back then, it was, it was back then not so much. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. Anyway, so. Um, Gosh, we, we got this house uh, up on Thompson Lane area. And um, it was actually taken on because back then, again, I'm leaving out a lot of the story, but the floods hit. Yeah. And I was released from Flemings the same week the floods hit. Mm. So there's, and I had all this provision. It's too much to tell. <laughs> but I had a pastor call me up, and there was this schizophrenic six foot three ex national guard oh my goodness. um who who said that he could discipline people with a spoon and meant it and he was in his thirties and they called me and said you're the only one that can troll him. I'm like, I'm not a pastor. You're the pastor. I said, Well no Brad, you can you, you need controlling because the they're taking him to an emergency tent city and he was out of control for them. So he was in his thirties and he was just this young man and there was another one with him who was in twenty one, I think it was. And so the only solution we had was, well, we're going to get a house. Because I was living in different places. That's a, a, another great story of God. But uh, So we got this house, and it became the first disciple house. We just wanted to have the gospel being lived out as best we could. It's like urban monastic living for uh, homeless guys. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it just continued on. And the great thing about it was, you know, well, like one winter we had in this little two-bedroom house, like... Uh, 11 people because of the snow the killing snow and people were stepping over each other to get to the sink and and it was incredibly uncomfortable but the joy was ridiculously higher at one point we had 17 wow yeah and but the guys you know they, they might complain for a second but they realize the high good everyone wants to belong to a story that's bigger than themselves and truth is something that we all want and we'll do a lot to invest in that so until it gets too scary. But anyway, <laughs> so the first disciple house, we took it on, and we got to a point where we couldn't afford it. Well, the landowner, Kathy Grootke, yes, I said your name, she um, offered to take the rent down so we could afford it. Oh, man, that's beautiful. And she she maintained that for many, many years. I think she only went up recently like $50, Yeah. which is ridiculous, a mm. month. Wow. And uh, so then we got the second house, and it was like 950 It was a two-story house. Um, in an older neighborhood 
We kept that for a year because we'd expanded. We'd get more and more people and then rub. So these are people that are living there that are learning the culinary arts. Yeah. Had they lived there, yeah? Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. I'm giving a plug-in for the Lando's. Cause yeah, no, no, no. I, I know. I just want to make it yeah, clear yeah, yeah. that that's what the yeah. purpose was. Yeah. yeah. We, we had to have housing for them because if you just take them in, it wasn't just about the cookery at that time. It was seeing, it was seeing um, that sometimes these guys will get their checks from the government, 600 or whatever it is a month. Mm-hmm. They only have enough to stay two weeks in a hotel, and they get on this cycle that, you know, they're back into the mission again. Sure. It's horrible. And I was like, how much is a hotel a, a, month, a week? 250 300 whatever. And I'm like, are you kidding me? No wonder you can never get out. What about um, this other housing? Well, it takes a year or two to get into it. Mm-hmm. So it's a very depressing situation for these guys to be stuck in. Basically, the government is just wasting their money. If yeah. you're talking about wanting to restore yeah, the sure. person, it's all you're giving cycle. them is, yeah. is, is, is it's, it's <clears throat> not a viable solution. Yeah. It's just a waste. Yeah. And um, so I look at halfway houses, and they're 150 200 and something a week. I'm like, how does a homeless guy come into me for $2 so he can get a pack of cigarettes? Come up with $150, $250 a week for a halfway house. So that was another reason why we started the Cyber Houses. It's largely now become open to the cookery students, but we'll still take people on if, if they're working and they just need to, to settle themselves and get a little bit of money under their belt. So, you know, we do charge nominal rent, but um, it was uh, $80 a week for everything, and we give them as much food as we can, et cetera, yeah. and clothing and stuff. So. Yeah. So anyway, in the second house, the two-story house, it was nine fifty a week, and I. It's and a I, hand up, not a handout. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, the owner Rob, I, I came to him after about a year, and I said, "We can't do this; it's too high." And he said, "How much?" And I said, "Well, if you have another house, we're looking for for about six fifty. He said, "Done." So he gave me this. He took three hundred dollars off a month, mm. so these guys could stay there. Amazing. And what are these people's names again? Uh, Kathy Grubke and Rob. I've forgotten your last name, but I love you, brother. So, yeah, okay. they're amazing people. That's awesome. Yeah. That's so beautiful. Okay, I'm going to keep reading down the postcard. Okay, yeah. Uh, monthly movie nights showcase a culinary student with a three-course meal. And so that, you do movie nights here. Yeah. And then you, you select one of your students, right. formerly homeless, yeah. to then yeah. show what they've got. Yeah, yeah, we, and we bring them up. It's kind of like a graduation yeah. moment. And um, it's, it's we, to pick a movie, like we did Ratatouille one time. <laughs> so they actually made the picture of the Ratatouille. They yeah. actually did that. Nice. Um, we're doing Narnia this month. So we're taking some of the, the foods that they're serving in the movie and we're redoing them. Oh, that's so neat. And, and uh, so the folks get to have the, this wonderful movie experience with a, an appropriate meal to go with it at a, at a great price. And then they also get to hear the, the men's story. I love it. That's yeah. so wonderful. Yeah. Uh, 13 culinary students have graduated from the program. All mm-hmm. were formerly homeless. Mm-hmm. That's wonderful. Twice a week you do serve safe certification. That's taught at a local prison. Yes. Yeah, we, we got blessed to go into the local prison to, to bring. These guys don't expect us. We walk in with a chef coat, and they think they're just going to be learning about food safety, and we talk about life. Yeah. And put it in the context. Of course, they learn food safety, and we've had really good success um, with the people that actually make it all the way to the test. And they, and they and it gives them hope. Yeah. Because the, they get management-level testing, and it lasts for five years. Hope is everything. It, it's, I don't think people truly understand that. Until you lose hope it. Hope is everything. Yeah, when you, when you get to the point that it's feather thin, 
when you realize just like a word safe becomes golden when mm. you're sleeping on the streets for these guys and they can't rest and someone's yes yeah especially women yes worse yeah because worse yeah they're extremely vulnerable yeah yeah i would love a, a house we haven't had a, a lady that's been called and strong enough to lead but we would love a house uh for for women and, and for women and kids you know yeah I think there's not enough. There are some services out there and they do incredible. It's not enough. Yeah. It's never going to be enough until there is no more homelessness. I mean, that's the reality. But God yeah. bless you doing your part. Good trying, yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And so at Thanksgiving and Christmas, you spoke of that. You feed yeah. up to 350 people. And breakfast is served at downtown Presbyterian Church for up to 200 Every homeless. Saturday. Every yep. Saturday. And then we hit the streets. That's why we close the restaurant on Saturdays. Before, um, we close it on Friday nights just so we can be together as a family. And we worship and we sing songs together. and So we don't have to be thinking about work. Mm-hmm. We just stop. Sabbath. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And then on Saturdays... It's just our time. I, you know, I, I need. I, I try to be careful with a, a term that could sound religious to people, because um, the religious people had Jesus right amongst them and they didn't see him. Right. So, f- for me, it's a time of making sure we're intentfully separating ourselves to rest. Yeah. And 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 look up. And so on Saturday we closed the restaurant, which I have to applaud my board because they were very nervous when I said this. <laughs> you don't do this to a restaurant, but because we were feeding downtown, some of the guys couldn't come because they knew they had to work that night and they didn't want to exhaust themselves. Yeah. So I said, "Fine, let's close the restaurant." Yeah. And it has not only has it um, increased in in uh, work, mm-hmm. but the support from the people yeah. has increased. And most especially, these guys feel like they're valued and that they truly are part of a mission-minded community rather than a business-minded. Yeah. When you speak of rest, you don't want to call it Sabbath. I understand that. But for me, I think rest is... And I am I would call myself somebody who is almost a workaholic, if not a workaholic. Mm-hmm. I'm constantly going, I love everything I do. Yeah. So I'm always doing... That's I'm always awesome. Going. But the thing is, is that... I still, I forget to take a moment and then I feel guilty when I take the moment. And I think it's so important for everyone, myself included, I speak to myself in this, is that you you don't get to recharge if you don't give yourself permission to rest. It's the hardest permission to give. Like to take a moment yeah, to breathe. Yeah, especially because, yeah, we've been wired. You know, playtime's mm. over now. Yeah. And run, 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 yeah. run. You're a grown-up now. Yeah. Well, I think, it. it's, I think it's in the book of Ezekiel. It was a real eye-opener for me. God actually says uh, to the priest, he said, you profaned my Sabbaths, plural. And I was like, what does plural mean? And then I realized the word became flesh. Every word that Jesus spoke, when it's received with a pure heart, is rest. And when we don't believe God in His goodness is saying these things for our rest, then each, each word that is a Sabbath that is not believed is like mm-hmm. profaning the intent mm-hmm. of why the word came. I've come to bring you rest. I've come to bring you peace. I've come to bring peace. you... Yeah. Let there be peace. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, you know, um, it can be sometimes inwardly violent getting to that place where I love what Bono said I'm running to stand still Mm -hmm. and I think uh, it's a great song 
yeah, it's it's a a place that we have to um, we have to you know, we have to be violent to get to sometimes. But when we get there, we realize, oh, it really is what he he really is good. It was hard getting here, but it's it's, it's worth it now. Yeah, I often say that. It isn't whether or not I have faith in God. It's whether or not I really believe God has faith in me. And sometimes it's really hard to remember, you know. It's good. Yeah. Well, he didn't do a plan B. He just, <laughs> he just gave Jesus in the church. Uh, all right, so there's a couple more things on here. Okay. The community food pantry is free and open to the public. So you have a yeah. garden? Oh, wow. <laughs> Cultivate is talking to us about helping us expand on that, too. We've had a garden. And um, and we would like to continue because I would like these guys to learn from the ground up. We have an incredibly um, uh, large amount of work and tasks that we do with only a small amount of hands. Mm. So we haven't been able to keep up all the things that we want to do, like having a garden. But uh, we do have people that grow gardens and they give us food. That's what the open pantry is? Yeah. Okay. And uh, Fresh Market, who are absolutely amazing. They give us, like crazy like a hundred thousand dollars a year worth oh. of food that we just give away to people that's lovely yeah some of it is kind of crazy like apple pie <laughs> and uh then we get the but but i remember when we first started doing the food thing um we had a lovely coffee shop who's you know all around the country and i shall not name and they're very big uh and i, I appreciate it very much and they started with an s but <laughs> <laughs> when they gave us they gave us their pastries, which we really appreciated, they were very hard. And oh. also, there's an epidemic amongst the homeless because the most readily received food is carbohydrate and sugar-based. So diabetes is rampant, oh. which affects the feet. Oh, yes. So they're walking everywhere. So it's, it's an incredibly difficult... Again, it's like giving a person $650 a month and going, good, we've done social security, and they're getting their social benefit, but giving them no safe way. No, no, no... Uh, it's very difficult getting to a place where they can function on that. Yeah. Um, so it's really... It, it, what's it for? Yeah. So you get all this free food, and it's appreciated, but... What's it for? But it's hurting them. Yeah. So you look at all these homeless guys and go, well, you know, they're fat. They should get a job and they're just lazy and blah, blah. We're poisoning them with a lot of the food that we have. And they can't say no because they're hungry. Yeah. And I'm not saying it's everyone, but it is an epidemic. Yeah. It is. And um, so I was just asking God, what can we do? Fresh Market calls me up and they get organic salads and all this crazy stuff and they eat better than some of us. I think it's incredible. It's wonderful. It's awesome. Yay. Well, America great. can do it. Yeah. Re- we really can. Yeah. We really can. Um, there's wonderful gleaning programs like uh, Society of St. Andrews and there's so much food that is just just needs to be better organized. Even Christmas and Thanksgiving, there should be four points around the city all connected to a hub rather than people just mavericking and wasting. And we waste a lot of food. Yes. I mean, when I was upstairs waiting um, for you to come out, I was watching... um, uh, somebody bust a table yeah. and there was, you know, still yeah. food left over, like yeah. a whole thing of chips. And I thought, isn't that, that's just such a weird juxtaposition yeah. in, yeah. in a place like this that's doing so much good and someone's eating and not yeah. taking it all and not, you know, yeah. it's interesting. I'm all stuffed up now because I've been crying through this whole <laughs> conversation. Uh. Uh, um, 
Okay, so the last thing on here, in the winter assistance with cold weather shelters, and we spoke of that. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so... Back when we first started doing it, uh, there was like six people that were sleeping outside of a church that I love, and I don't understand, in the dead of winter while they were sleeping on concrete, at the back of houses that the church owned. Mm. Wow. Yeah, and, and I didn't understand it, and I... I, I don't know the math for that, and I'm not I'm not judging them, because I will say that that moment catapulted us to go ask a, a preacher friend of mine, a pastor friend of mine, Pastor Ray DeVries, who had a church where had a basketball court at the back, and they weren't using it in enclosed basketball. And I said to him, "Would you mind if we bring in six people two times a week and keep them overnight?" And we'll hide them upstairs so they can leave their bags there because they're older and it's hard carrying your stuff around. He said yes to the six and never said no to the 90. They just kept coming and coming. So for six years, especially during the uh, floods, we were open uh, every Wednesday, every Saturday, all year long. I know Ruby Dean only does it in the winter. We did it all year long. What's with you in basketball courts? I know. (laughs) That's funny you picked it up because God reminded I'll tell you that story off. Yeah, that's it's absolutely true. And he reminded me later. So we're in a basketball court, and we got all these people, and uh, and we did it for six years, and then the church eventually was bought out by a, uh, a primarily child ministry, mm. um, child-centered, yeah. and uh, there was many concerns about that, so we had to stop. Yeah. And I think it was perfect time because the cookery fired off, yeah, and we didn't have enough personnel to run both. Sure, but I'm hoping soon that someone, maybe who is hearing this, will has a has a a place where there's some showers or you know like a hole or a or a warehouse where we can begin to house because again there are people doing it but there's not enough in fact many people in the metro have come to us about we didn't know what kind of impact we were having uh-huh. and since it's closed oh. it's yeah it's they've uh, they've come to us individually i'm like well that's wonderful so help us get one yeah and uh, we'll see what the happens. powers of be you mean are yeah, coming the to powers you? Of yeah the powers of be yeah, powers of B, if you if you miss us that much, because yeah. we were using the guys too. It was, again, affirming for them to be able to help run a shelter because yeah. they were needed. Sure. And uh, so we're hoping that comes around again. Wow. Brett, thank you so very much. It's an honor. The cookery, everyone. Come and eat. and It's really good food. Yeah, and give your support. High quality. And is there a donation place? Yeah, you can or? go on thecookery.org. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously we got to pay bills like everybody. Uh, and for us, the ministry comes first, so we're not always super, super efficient on business. We're not lax or lazy uh, in our in our principles. It's just that the ministry must come first. Yeah. So the support is appreciated. Yeah. But the bigger thing is, come form a relationship. Life happens amongst the poor, and it it's very contagious. Right, Swain. Thank you. It's an honor. Thank you, Susan. Have a wonderful day. Bye, everybody. Thank you for listening.